podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Football is many things. Unpredictable, exciting, colourful, passionate, absorbing, expensive. Venal, infuriating, exasperating, time-consuming, depressing. But one thing it most certainly is not is a level playing field. Welcome to the famous sloping pitch. Now, clearly there are bigger things uh, happening in the world right now than VAR and financial fair play. Uh, We have seriously considered cancelling the show as we are recording as Russia advances into Ukraine. When faced with a profound moral dilemma, we like to ask ourselves, as I think most right-thinking people would, what would Sepp Blatter do? (laughs) And we know that Sepp would have his head firmly in the sand. So as a release, I'm going to give you some good news, Chris. Yeah. Great news. The car is back. The car? The the ball-delivering car, <laughs> our favourite thing from the Euros, is back. The giant remote-controlled car. The, yeah. Well, this is better than a remote-controlled car. And sadly, it wasn't in a football match. But clearly, uh, the rugby fraternity have seen the car and decided this is the way to go. Yeah, we're having And Warrington, Warrington Wolves were inspired, <clears throat> listen to this, to get a six-year-old girl to deliver the match ball in a go-kart all right. <laughs> Unfortunately, by the time they put the oversized helmet on her and she was so near to the ground in the go-kart, <laughs> she couldn't find the man in green to give it to and just drove round and round the pitch, delaying kickoff until, and this is even better, the club mascot, unsurprisingly, a six-foot wolf yes. for Warrington Wolves, wrestled it from her grasp. <laughs> it must have been a terrifying experience. Did, it, did so, the wolf claim to be her grandma no. <laughs> during the process? <laughs> I'm sure that's what was in her mind. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. just speaking of uh, matchable shenanigans, there's a thorny dilemma arose this week when uh, New Zealand and Liverpool defender Michaela Moore, uh, made up name, um, scored a perfect hat trick of own goals, left foot, right foot header, and then was substituted in the 40th minute because she was obviously on a mission um, in a 5 0 defeat by the USA in the She Believes Cup. And I'm sure we all do believe. Um, but um, Adam Hurry, a man on at Football Clichés, asked, what happens to the match ball, you know, in, in this circumstance? Does it put her on its mantelpiece? <laughs> and, and, of course, a ball wouldn't have a mantelpiece for its trophies. That would be ridiculous. It would have yeah. a plinth. Have a plinth, and, of course. And, and a little car for going to the shops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, did, did you see in the Winter Olympics, a Finnish competitor suffered a frozen penis in the freezing conditions? I, I, I didn't see that. I don't know. No. I missed it. No, I don't. Surely the headline must have leapt out. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Um, good news: his testicles were fine, uh, thanks to global warming. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you had, ever had frozen penis? <laughs> no. At that time, I, I I went into Iceland and took too long to uh, choose pizza. Yeah. Ah, but, yes, uh, of course, of course. Of course. Uh, in other news, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has apparently sold his apartment in Trump Tower in New York for less than half what he paid for it. And, you know, there's something funny in there somewhere. I can't, I can't put my finger on what it is. He had an apartment in Trump Tower. That's quite funny. He lost that's a shitload funny. of money. That's quite funny. That's, there's something there. Funny. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. listening at home or walking the dog, you know, invent your own joke. There's something in there. Cristiano yeah, Ronaldo had it. And you, <laughs> you want to think that Donald Trump designed the apartments in Trump Tower as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he installed the gold toilets, didn't he? Yeah, I was going to say, there'd be nine toilets and one bedroom. <laughs> one, well, you know, one of the toilets for important classified documents and the other eight for God only knows oh, what. Yes, of course. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, knowing you as I do, Nick, I'm sure you'll be as keen 
keen as I am to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the release of Blue is the Colour back in February oh, yeah. of 1972. Oh, yeah. And interesting how the song has lingered in the Chelsea mythology, yes. considering the, the little-known fact that you can you can share with the world. Well, I can share it with you. Yes, it was blue, <laughs> blue is the Colour is, in fact, um, a, a song of failure. Yes. Because uh, Blue is the Colour... They all think, or the younger Chelsea fans think, it's to do with winning the FA Cup in 1970 or possibly the Cup Winners' Cup in 1971. But no, Blue is the Colour was released in 1972 for the League Cup final, which indeed Stoke City won Stoke City by won. beating Chelsea 2-1. And we'll be, so we'll be having a, a full uh, 50th celebration uh, episode next, of next that week. next week. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. So every time I go to Chelsea, which obviously is getting fewer and fewer, fewer times, now yeah. um, they sing blue is the colour and I just I want to go no you don't oh, I should just take pleasure in it mind you though uh, Oldham still played the boys in blue which is our loser anthem from the 1990 League Cup final and, yes. uh, but the thing is it's not like we've won every other bloody possible trophy since no you know, exactly or indeed yeah. had anything at all to celebrate for the last 31 years and yeah. counting which will bring us on nicely to yeah, um, go, go very quickly on that you know, oh, yeah. we had a League Cup final single too yeah uh, we'll be with you We'll be yes, but what was funny about the "We'll Be With You" oh, yeah. was, was one. It was written by Jackie Trent and Tony Hatch. They wrote the Neighbours theme. Um, but the <laughs> other thing that I felt found particularly funny about it was we released a back a follow up single <laughs> <laughs> called "We'll Be Together," and you thought, "No, you can't do no, that." No, no. It doesn't it, work yeah, like that. Yeah, someone should have said, "Tony." Jackie, it's not about you. <laughs> yeah, it's like having three World Cup songs, isn't it? It's just ridiculous. Well, anyway. they, they, the Cameroon did, didn't they? Cameroon had their World Cup song after the World Cup. Well, they uh, did, About yes. the World Cup, which was great. Yes, which yes. was great. Yeah. Anyway, before we luxuriate in the foaming, aromatic hot tub of the Premier League, let us clutch our penises like a Finnish cross-country skier and plunge into the wheelie bin full of ice cubes that is the very bottom of the EFL, where my team, Old Athletic, are showing distinct songs of life. Last week, you may recall, we crawled out of the drop zone for six heady minutes at Newport County before their late equaliser shoved us back into the bottom two. Last Saturday at home to managerless Bradford City, we secured a whole week of intoxicating security, climbing up to 22nd with a 2-0 win. Goals from Hope, who it appears springs eternal, and John Betjeman tribute act Davis Keeler Dunn again. Four yeah. goals in five games for him since the messianic return of the new boss, brackets, same as the old boss, Brackets. Not the least impressive thing about the turnaround that John Sheridan has engineered in the last five games is that he's doing it mostly without being able to call on the guys who arrived during the January transfer window. Mike Fondop Tallam, our new centre forward, out with a groin injury. He's been feeling his groin, apparently. I'm, I'm not sure that's how he injured it. Um, Topi Obadai was only fit enough to come on with 10 minutes to go. Alex Hunt came on with one minute left. Um, Christopher Missalou has made a difference, admittedly, but just that one um, defensive midfielder. But basically, Sheridan's getting a tune out of the squad that was playing so badly just a month ago. I mean, we mm -hmm. seem to be happy to surrender the lion's share of possession now. I think this is quite an interesting thing to see. Those stats are always a bit misleading, aren't they? The possession ones. Because they count fanning around at the back as possession just as much as doing anything remotely threatening. But now, instead of playing... Well, yes, and, fa and failing to take a throw-in counts as possession. Counts as possession, because you've got the ball. Yeah. yeah, you've got the ball. You've got the ball. Yeah, yeah. But now, instead of playing safety first, trying to keep the ball, those same olden players are looking to go forward. 
forward. And it's 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 amazing to see. And it seems to be as simple as that. So now the other teams in the bottom third of Division 4, currently trading as League 2, are getting a bit twitchy. Lots of chopping and changing suddenly going on at the clubs that suddenly smell the sewage between that open manhole cover. Leighton Orient sacked their manager to the soundtrack of mid-80s Phil Collins. No Kenny Jacket required. And uh, our friend Brian will be particularly <laughs> pleased to hear that line, having tried very hard, you remember when we did Who Ate All the Pies years ago, to get a no Jacquet required joke in when Spurs turned <laughs> their nose up at French manager Aimé Jacquet. Aimé Jacquet, yeah, yeah. Brian listens to this while walking his dog, apparently, hoping against hope for no Jacquet required to make an appearance. <laughs> and so, there, there you go, Brian. And uh, according to the news, there was an earthquake in Walsall this week which is a hyperbolic way to describe their surprise win at runaway leaders Forest Green. But we're comparing our upturn in form to the resurrection of Jesus, so who are we to talk? Anyway, the Warsaw quake, uh, according to the old joke, caused 75 pence worth of damage. Um, someone dropped a cornetto, but they'd already eaten most of it. <laughs> New manager Mike Flynn's bounce came to a shuddering splat on Tuesday with a 5-0 reverse at Swindon. And just yesterday, Carlisle reacted to the seismic shock of finding themselves actually behind Oldham by sacking Keith Millen, who, their new Keith, who'd only been there since October. Inspired by later Phil Collins, Paul Simpson is going back. He won the division as player manager 16 years ago and more recently won the 2017 Under-20 World Cup as coach of England. I didn't realise he was in charge of that. Select Anki was playing, Calvert-Lewin, Adam Ola-Lugman and uh, Lewis Cook of uh, Bournemouth. Um, so they're clearly hoping for a, for a what would you say, a Simps erection. No, that doesn't work, does it? That doesn't no. work at all. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Bradford, who we beat last Saturday, have appointed Mark Hughes today. Um, just five, Mark Hughes? Yeah, just five days too late for the grudge visit to Boundary Park. Because he, of course, kick-started our 28-year yeah. decline with his last minute of extra-time equaliser at Wembley. He's like the devil to us. I mean, hopefully we can get him the sack next season. We have a good record of getting Bradford managers the sack, if we're still in EFL 2, touching wood. Um, he managed Stoke, didn't he, Mark Hughes? He certainly did, yes. For about five yeah. years. Not not, not yeah, that long ago. He's Stoke, Manchester City, Blackburn. Yeah. yeah. When he came to Stoke, did you take him oatcakes? I know you sometimes do that with, uh, no, with a new I, manager. I, 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 no, but there were <laughs> oatcakes are, are let, let me t- explain, are the local de- delicacy. Yes. Uh, yes, I've done it to a couple of managers in my younger years. Yeah, did you not take um, I think Steve, was it Steve Cottrell? Did you not go Steve around to Steve Cottrell his got oatcakes from me and indeed yeah. Mick Mills. Mick Mills, oh, well. Uh, both of whom were, were notable failures in the <laughs> <at> Stoke City. <laughs> but not down to the oatcakes, no, I think. No, England World Cup Captain Nick Mills, Mark yeah. Hughes. His first real, his real first name is Leslie. I think more people should know that. I think more people should know is that it? about him. Yeah, Leslie Mark Hughes. That's his name. Yeah. Anyway, so as we start, as you said at the top. Um, oh yes. This week, Vladimir Putin used the pretext of two areas of Ukraine having trouble with separatists to send troops across the border as what he calls a, a peacekeeping force, basically to make sure yeah. that he gets to keep those two pieces of the map. But um, it seems obvious now, today, that that was just the start of his move to invade and annex the whole country, which leaves the yeah. world on the brink of who knows what. I mean, it's hard to trivialise the importance of the imminence of World War Three, but I think I found a way of doing it. Good. Does this mean Scotland will get a bye in the World Cup playoffs next month? They're supposed to be playing Ukraine. Or will they end up playing Russia, thus giving Putin two shots at getting to the Qatar Beanfest? Infantino Uh loves Putin. He's dying to hang out with him in November. 
And Russia are already in the playoffs. They're supposed to be playing Poland, aren't they? And Poland must be getting a little anxious, don't you think, about that? I mean, they want the the game switched from Moscow to Warsaw, obviously. But what would that provoke? You know, they have a border with Ukraine, Poland. There are already Russian tanks in Belarus, which is also next door. And they also have a border with uh, Kaliningrad, this little Russian enclave, where the Russians had tanks, didn't they, very recently, looking at Lithuania. and of course, um, Poland shared the European Championships with Ukraine. They did, and 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 are you know uh, it, similarly a little worried about they the presence of Russia. Well, you would think um, they must be if you know if if uh, Russia if Putin's master plan is to go and take back all the all the former satellite. Not that Poland were that, obviously, no. but uh, Belarus and Georgia and places like that, Lithuania, then, and Lithuania, Estonia. Latvia, Estonia. Yeah, yeah. No. I mean, historic with a with a very spurious claim that these are historically Russian because they oh. they were Prussian, they were German, uh, Poland okay. and Lithuania and Latvia and so on. Okay, if we're going to say trivial things about very important matters. Can I say, if that was to happen, it really would clear up the Euro qualifying The Euro, uh, Euro qualifying campaign. It? It really be, uh, the group should be much smaller. Anyway, really I'm, and, I'm starting then, to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, but do the Ukraine players, if, if Russia, for, for example, uh, invaded Ukraine completely in the next yeah. two weeks before, you yeah. know, before the playoffs started, do the Ukrainian players then play for Russia? You know, because that happened in 1938, didn't it, with the Anschluss, the uh, when Germany in, uh, invaded yeah, Austria. No, and, Austria, uh, Austria, and uh, the, the Austria were the fav- among the favourites for that World Cup, and their players yeah. ended up playing for for Germany. But yeah. I, I think that's a very you know very distant possibility. Yes. What I, the, I think what I think is interesting about it, uh, and really the reason why I'm bringing it up at all, uh, apart from the trivial World Cup qualifying thing, mm-hmm. in, in what is essentially a football based podcast, I think, um, is how many how many people are suggesting that football somehow uh, has something to do has a, has a has a you know has a responsibility to to act in the face of this Russian aggression. And, use, and there's people suggesting using football as some sort of weapon to bring pressure on the Putin regime. I mean, the Americans went for the Russian banks with their sanctions, trying to hit the Russian capacity to finance their war machine. I mean, I beg your pardon, their peacekeeping machine, um, apart from Trump, obviously, who's saying that Putin is a genius. But uh, the Germans have applied their sanctions to the pipeline, the big oil pipeline, the Nord 2 pipeline, uh, obviously very important uh, economically and um, practically. But Boris Johnson came out very strongly saying that the Champions League final should be moved from St. Petersburg. I mean, yeah. I suppose, you know, you wouldn't want to give Vladimir Putin so many high-profile Western hostages, just in case. But then the Foreign Secretary came out, Liz Truss said that English clubs reaching the Champions League final should boycott it if it was in yeah. St. Petersburg. And she said, I'd boycott it if I, if I were them. And how would that work? You know, if Liz Truss got to the Champions League final. It's hard to see her winning the semi for a start, you know, let alone <laughs> finishing in, in the top four the season before. But if you're the foreign secretary, don't you have more important ways to affect a geopolitical crisis than suggesting that an English football team uh, would boycott the Champions League final if they got there. Surely there's some sort of diplomatic effort, there's some sort of military posturing you can do. Why is it football's responsibility to solve the world's problems? That's what I well, want to know. Well, I think you know full well that they, they like to mention football as much as they can because they think it makes them uh, in touch with the, yeah. with the, the, the common man. Um, so so that, that doesn't show me that much. And they did they did do some, some offshore banking business, for, to mm. quote the members. Mm. Um, but... 
Uh, he also mentioned Abramovich as one of the people that he wanted to freeze it. Well, yeah, he and did. Then, he did. But then, then, and, but yeah. then sorry, there, there are. Uh, he's targeting only three of the very many oligarchs who own most yeah. of West London, and two of them are called Rottenberg. Which makes me think that they're like made up. They're made up villains. These two, you know, yes. they, they sound awful. <laughs> yeah. But then, but, but, but then the, the whole, all the noises. Oh, we should do something about Abramovich, who who can't get a visa to even come back into the bloody country, you know, yeah. and and is persona non grata in Russia as well. He's been going around collecting passports, like I don't know, like a kid collecting stamps. We said, didn't we? He'd got a Portuguese passport. He's got an Israeli passport. And if he yeah, gets yeah. a World Cup group, he wins FIFA. We said that yeah. at the time, yeah. Um, yeah. but but it's because of it's because of football's profile that we're supposed to be thinking. Oh, we should do something about Abramovich. We should do something about Usmanov at uh, Everton. You know, and yeah. we'll, let, we'll, let's just punish the Russians we've heard of. You know, can well, we, think, not, can we also stop think, playing Rasputin by Boney M? You know, <laughs> I think there's a lot of that, but I do, I do think. Well, it's two things. One thing, Abramovich, he, he backed out, he backed away from that in the end, didn't he? Mm. And said that he said, which this is just the most cowardly thing to say. Yeah. he said that he misspoke. Yeah, when yeah. He, well, uh, he misspoke well, about all the parties at number ten Downing Street. Well, I know, but exactly, you know, it's, it's just that drives me mad. But I think there's a there's a there's a there's a wider picture, isn't there? Which obviously we've spoken about in this tons and tons of times, which is you know politics just stalks sports all of the time, doesn't it? This is well, it does. Just had, so, so you've got Winter Olympics in China, World Cup in Qatar, Champions League final in Russia, the Saudi public investment fund doing the golf in Newcastle, Leeds thinking about touring Myanmar, the Abu Dhabi Grand. The world, the last World Cup was in Russia. I mean, mm. all you need is, is sort of match thirty nine in, in Korea, and and you've got the set. But it's yeah. always happened North because Korea, it, South Korea is it, lovely. Hitler did the same thing, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. did the same with his boxing. He did it with football. He did it with the Olympics. With the thirty six Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you see, but, uh, you think, see players getting sticked, don't you, and getting fined even for daring to make any sort of political pronouncement well, or wear yeah. a t shirt with a message on it supporting, I don't know, a union or something. Or Marcus Rashford getting sticked yeah. for standing up to the government on school meals. Anything praise also, but or the, you, you constantly hear, oh, football and politics shouldn't mix. They shouldn't mix. Yeah. Shouldn't. And, but then as soon as there's a thing where you can throw football in and make it look like you're doing something, it's you know, it's the it's uh, the uh, self-justifying gleat of people who do deals with Saudi Arabia all the time. You know. Yeah, and absolutely, and I think I think talking of individuals, um, I saw that uh, Roman uh, Yaremchuk, Yaremchuk mm. uh, of. Benfica last night, he, who's Ukrainian, uh, scored and lifted his shirt with a, a, a mm. message of support. But of course, Ukraine also have history for this, haven't they? Because didn't they have the map of Ukraine on their shirt in the Euros, yeah. which included Crimea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, that's another one. Yeah, the and Crimean thing, thing that, was, that was only a few years ago. And and I think, you know, basically Russia just sticking their toe in the, in the invasion Bathwater, yeah. you know. I, I went, I went um, like three years ago, uh, before, just before the COVID thing. My sons and I went to Moscow, and one of the things we did when we were there, <laughs> I'll be doing that again in a hurry, but um, one of the things that we did while we were there was we went to the Museum of uh, Russian History. The Russian History Museum, uh, where there are some very interesting, uh, very interesting uh, displays where history seems to stop when Khrushchev comes into power and then start again when once he's gone. Uh, the, you know, the, the, there was the the, the 1960s uh, cabinet was uh, closed for cleaning. You know, but yeah, then yeah. when you got to the end, the most recent exhibit was about the Crimea, about the uh, Russian. Uh, annexing of Crimea and uh, all the text and all the pictures were of about how Russia had liberated Crimea uh, yeah. and uh, answered the call of its people 
you know, and and uh, and the, the whole thing was was spun 180 degrees, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, 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 not that surprising, but <laughs> not interesting that surprising, to look no. at. No, uh, no. I mean, I was I was you know I was in Moscow in in 1980 and and <laughs> arrived arrived <laughs> in my bedroom <laughs> to find on my bed a a, a book called The Truth About Afghanistan. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't even have to go out to uh, to a museum. Uh, uh, the one other thing about, about, about the Champions League find I find interesting is if Man City get there, and he, he might not be in the squad, but if Zinchenko... Zinchenko, um, yeah. He's made, oh, yeah. He made a statement, didn't he, of, uh, of oh, I missed yeah. that. What did he say? Yeah, no, just of, just of, uh, of support and, and appall, appall that, you know. Yeah. yeah but you but, wonder. You but, wonder yeah. if he would boycott it. Well, yeah. I mean, I, should FIFA not kick Russia out of the World Cup, given that they've invaded one of the other countries in the tournament, still in the tournament at the moment, you know? I mean, isn't that like a minimum response that FIFA should make? Don't you yes. think? I mean, you know, sports bodies obviously have a terrible track record at dealing with, with Russia. You know, you look at the, with the Olympics, you know, they're, they're, uh, somehow they're allowed to compete as the Russian Olympic Committee in order to evade responsibility for their massive doping programme. And they're still, you know, they're still pumping illegal drug cocktails into 15-year-old girls. Yeah, um, but to be fair, it, when uh, when the British athletes went in 1980, they, they competed as yeah. individuals because yeah. Britain had boycotted the Olympics. That, well, I think Thatcher wanted to stop them, didn't she, but was was she did was unable but, but the, to uh, get the that IOC through. opened it up and and that's always the interesting thing which is which is boring actually but <laughs> interesting to me the most played anthem at the 1980 Olympics was the Olympic anthem, the Olympic anthem because yeah. so many people won medals who weren't meant to be who there, weren't so, supposed yeah. to be there yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean yeah. it's FIFA obviously are just so are so in lockstep with Infantino loves Putin and set Blatter before but didn't Putin um, proposed set Blatter for a Nobel Peace Prize didn't he you know and it's it's <laughs> a, <laughs> it's a, but and there's UEFA as well who are in charge of the Champions League final which is due to be held at the Gazprom Arena in St Petersburg which is Putin's yeah. hometown, but for anything else, you know, just the, the sucking up yeah. goes way back. But Gazprom is a big problem, I think. Gazprom is a massive Russian energy group. They're the major sponsors of UEFA. Um, yeah. And arguably, Gazprom money is what keeps is keeping UEFA able to stand tough against the Super League because they've got this guaranteed income, uh, you know, yeah. uh, uh, through a pipeline, if you like, from Russia. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so if the, if the EU sanction Russia, UEFA are going to have to go along you can you can feel the regret already. You can feel that they don't want to do this. You know, yeah. ah well, Gazprom. You see it everywhere, yeah. don't you? Gazprom on the on the touchline boards and everything. Yeah, you yeah, think, what yeah. the hell is that? What's that got to do with anything? But you know, yeah, yeah. hey, yeah. hey. But then I think that about Diners Club as well, Mastercard, <laughs> yeah. yeah. and indeed Coca Cola and Budweiser. Yeah, and I've never had a Continental tyre. No, that's no. true. You should well, try one. Actually, They're really yeah. good. Yeah. Well, you know, the worry, of course, is that if you know, if you'd seen, if you'd watched Seinfeld at all, you'd know that the Ukraine is weak. But you don't, do you? Do they mention Ukrainian neighbours at all? No, uh, not that I remember. <laughs> There's an episode of Seinfeld anyway where Kramer and Newman are playing a long game of Risk, which pivots on the possession of Ukraine, and uh, Kramer is going, Ukraine is weak on the subway, and a Ukraine <laughs> guy uh, throws their game everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's very funny. You should watch Seinfeld. But anyway. I should. I light, should. On a lighter note, 
if such a thing is possible. It's time for a quick update, just a quick update on the hottest on-off bromance of the season, the relationship they're all calling Tomalu Tukarkel, the celebrity couple to rival Brangelina and Benefer, who seem to be finding a tentative way forward recently. I mean, they spent a bit of time apart, which often helps a relationship, doesn't it? It gives a a couple time to take stock, realise what it is they want from each other. Thomas stayed at home in, in London and Romelu went on a city break to Abu Dhabi and scored without him. Uh, and maybe that was the problem. I mean, certainly Thomas was highly motivated to jump on a plane at the last minute to see what was going on for himself. And now yeah. that they're back, Romelu seems listless, doesn't he? I mean, he I mean touches are so important, aren't they, for a relationship? And Thomas yeah. just hasn't been getting what he needs. You know, He's yeah. been lashing out as well, mocking Romelu's performance in front of all his friends, saying, yeah. this is not the time to laugh. <laughs> Which Can means that it is, of course, the time, course to, laugh. the time to laugh. I mean, yeah, look at yeah. Frankie Howard. When he says, ooh, don't laugh, that laugh, means yeah. laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, Thomas like is to... laughing in the picture with the quote in it. <laughs> yes, it's an incredible thing to say. Yeah. I'd just like to, I wish, I wish you'd said that all of that with the R-tune music. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, <laughs> um, you know, poor old Thomas, you know, Romelu's always too tired. That's what he's saying. Yeah. Well, they had they had this thing about his, his touch map, didn't they? Yes. Did you see that? Well, it was Palace. an incredible thing. Where, where yeah. he had he, he had two touches he, in the first half, and one of them was the kickoff. Was kickoff, yeah. You know. And and he had seven touches in in total. Yeah. And so, it, funny enough, it, it did make me think they should buy Putin because he made more incursions into enemy territory uh, than Lukaku would make <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> I thank you. Um, well, but I the, played the, football the, on Tuesday night, and I think I touched my balls more than that. But still. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what but, Tuchel said, Romelu will always be part of the solution uh, to the problem, who shall I bench this week? <laughs> no. yeah. But still, there you go. Do you see Romelu, Romelu Lukaku's quote was uh, a, a little bit momic. It said, if you have to force it, it probably doesn't fit. Right. And you think, you know, you don't want to hear that if you're Thomas Tuchel, do you? No, well, I mean, can there be any doubt that one of them is going to go? Well, yeah, and which which one of them as well? Yeah, but there was two schools of thought. Well, they're not entirely opposed. So Wright Lineker and Shearer's view was, uh, you know, where's the support? He should be having players passing to him more. Mm. He he doesn't make the runs because the passes aren't coming and why aren't they doing it in training? And Sutton's view is he's hiding because Mm. these bulls aren't coming anyway, so what's the point in, in... yeah. Him making the runs, but you'd have thought that this was something that a football manager could work out, wouldn't you? Without, so, oh, yeah. I mean, I, it's always awful, isn't it? When when a, a man, you know, Mourinho used to do this all the time, isn't it? Where he picks out a player and yeah, and uh, points Luke out Shaw. the ways yeah. in which they're letting him down. You know, yeah. Luke Shaw, yes, exactly. And uh, Lukaku's, um, you know, he must be, he must be feeling it. He must be feeling the the disdain from the manager, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. Chelsea's not a not a, a happy ship currently, although they are the champions of the world. Um, <laughs> but Manchester United, there have been non-stop it's rumblings Danny, about... He's the champion of the world, isn't he? He was, former champion. He was. Oh, that was a few years I think years he's looking ago. for a rematch with, with, with Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, non-stop rumblings still from uh, Manchester United about discontent there. I mean, no oh, sooner they, start, they try and squash rumours of a row over the captaincy between Maguire and, and Cristiano Ronaldo, then Fred starts saying it's really strange to be playing for an interim manager without any kind of long-term yes. plan. And yeah. yet, you know, they came home from Madrid with a draw in the Champions League, despite, by all accounts, playing absolutely dreadfully in the first half. And did you see their action-packed encounter with Leeds on Sunday? Did you see any of that? I did not see that. Oh, because actually, you know, 
a really a really in, uh, interesting game to watch a really good game to watch um because the build up to it included um some like blood and thunder tackling from the 70s you know the sort of the, the sort of thing and uh usually that's not a good move to show that because it sets up expectations that the game is actually going to be like that and then the weedy no contact tap ball begins but that's what the actual game was like because it was so wet there was so much water players were going in for a tackle and sliding yeah, 15 feet past yeah. which was yeah, yeah. and it was fantastic it was like it was like the most spectacular game and uh, maguire scored the first united goal from a corner this season which is a, a which is a, a great statistic that i've been keeping an eye on 139 yeah. corners without scoring and it's a shame because you know maguire is such a weapon for England, isn't he, from corners, especially by Luke Shaw, who's taken the United corners. But yeah. uh, so it's, it's bittersweet, like football itself, really. It is, <laughs> it is. It's, and there's definitely, there's definitely a lot going on there. But again, we've said this before, you know, you, you, if, if you've got a supply teacher in, the people are going to take the piss. And that's yeah. basically what's happening with, with Ragnar. Also, we've had Conte last night um, saying, after, after beating Man City 4-2 and saying that he would play uh, with Kane, even with one leg. Yeah. And then last night, uh, they lose at Burnley uh, and he says, you know, it's not right in this moment to take the money. And if it is the fault of the manager, uh, I shall go. I'm ready to go if I'm the problem. He said, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, he's had an extraordinary few days because um, he was so happy. Oh, after the after the, on yeah. Saturday night, I mean, you know, yeah. the, when the the Kane last minute winner went in, the the prancing that went on, you yeah, know, yeah, you, yeah. you saw uh, Guardiola uh, bent double with his head in his hands, and behind yeah, yeah. him, Conte leaping around like a wild thing, leaping high into the arms of his team, and yes. uh, and and Almost. as you say, the Harry Kane thing he said after the uh, yeah. uh, in the press conference afterwards, which reminded me of Peter Shilton saying he'd give his right arm to play for England, which <laughs> yes, <laughs> and he got uh, nowhere did. near the German. Pen- with two arms, I don't think any closer <laughs> with that one. Yeah, Conti's celebration uh, reminded me a little bit of, of David Pleat, I have to say. Oh, that well, that, yeah, <laughs> the Radiantish one. Yeah, that, 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 that sort of incontinent skipping that he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That we were trying, I remember trying to explain the skipping that we wanted at, uh, when we did the uh, at the end of the cup final in Bostock's Cup. That's trying to explain cup, yeah. to Tim Healy, we want you yeah. to do the David Pleat. He did. He did, yeah. he did a good job of it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has and been finally, amazing, hasn't it? And sorry, it's yeah. been amazing. The top of the Premiership the last few days don't you think yeah I mean you know the city were 14 points clear a little while ago and just after half time on Saturday Liverpool were 1-0 down to Norwich which was exactly the sort of scoreline that knackered their title challenge last season when they suddenly started losing games at home to teams at the bottom a city had spurs to come on a losing run and there for a few minutes the title was absolutely absolutely done I think absolutely cooked and people have been saying for a while oh Liverpool is still in it and then you just had the sense that nobody really believed it and then they knocked in three to turn that one round. City lost that brilliant game with a brilliant performance from Harry Kane. And then last night, Liverpool won their game in hand, which, you know, you can't ever rely on, and won 6-0. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, th- did you see any of the Liverpool leads? I'm sorry to keep, I'm sorry to keep you. <laughs> did you see any of the, the Liverpool <laughs> leads at, last night? I was at Stoke Luton. Oh, yeah, night. yeah, but the, the game wasn't on until uh, oh, Stoke Luton. Uh, unlucky. But the, uh, at the Liverpool leads, I was watching the, like, the late replay. It wasn't on live. And, and twice this thing happened. Uh, they went to a shot of Marcelo Bielsa on the touchline. And just as Martin Tyler was saying, of course, the Leeds fans absolutely adore the boss. Bielsa put a yeah. finger to his nose and emptied a nostril down the front of his anorak. It was absolutely <laughs> fucking disgusting. And I don't like it when a player does it. It's a horrible thing to, to have a close-up on when yeah. a player does it on the pitch. But at least they're involved in some athletic... They're in extremists, yeah. if you like. But, you know, yeah, it's yeah. a small excuse. But a manager. And they, they went back to him 
for the other nostril full a little bit later. He snat all down himself, this late middle-aged man with no self-awareness. It was absolutely fucking horrible. Well, it is horrible, but you know, when you when you're an older gentleman, and as we both know, you know, sitting on a bucket can be exhausting. Well, and, and he doesn't even have a fucking bucket; he's just miming having a crap, well, isn't yes, he? Doing is pantomime having that. a crap. There but anyway, there. there you go. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to finish with Reading because it suddenly occurred to me, any of you, uh, us who have had children in uh, in Sunday football teams, like the under-12s, I yeah. just love the idea that when they got rid of their manager, they then got the dads of all the players in we'll and said, together. right, so we need somebody you- to take, one of you needs to take over the team. <laughs> now, Thomas Ince's dad, you've had some experience in football. Oh, no, I don't, I know, I don't it want to. It won't be long-term. Got, it won't well, be long-term. It's no, just no, to I'm get a, us through the season. No, I've got photocopying to do. I can't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we're going to take a break and after it we'll have our guest. Our guest today is a comedian whose career has been inextricably linked with football, from taxi to training, in which he would interview players whilst driving them to work, to hosting Soccer AM, and most pleasingly for Chris, a regular character in the NBC show Ted Lasso. Having trained as a chorister, he's uniquely placed to give us a few chants from Blundell Park, home of his side Grimsby Town. You are very welcome, Lloyd Griffith. Thank you for having me, honestly, bless you. Yeah. We're delighted to have you. I, I want to start with Grimsby, yeah. if that's all right. Yeah, yeah. A place I've been to many, many times and had that little walk from Cleethorpe Station um, and, and and seen some quite tasty afternoons, actually, on the way to the ground. <laughs> um, but um, what's, what was your, your favourite era? Who were your, your, like, your main heroes? Well, I started following them when I was about eight years old, and uh, the first game was uh, John Cockrell's testimonial. I'm not sure if you remember John Cockrell, brother of Glenn Cockrell. Um, and so that Southampton, Southampton, yeah. yeah. So it was against Southampton, and so that that era for me, you know, with the likes of Clive Mendonca, Ivano Bonetti, uh, really stood out. I remember like. When you talked about the plate of chicken on the thing, it's all over. I lost my mind. Like I lost it. The fact that Grimms was being spoken about on TV, just you know, yeah, lose it. We should perhaps talk about the plate of chicken because not not everybody will be familiar with it. But but first of all, to go back to the, to the signing of the Italians, which was quite a big moment for Grimsby as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was huge. There was the fact that he was owned by a conglomerate. Uh, which was very uh, Tevez and Mascherano. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not sure who it was, but it was it was it was something that we'd never heard of. And then we had to buy him from a company and not a football team. And I think he stamped up half the cash himself. And then the rest of the fans basically paid for him just by bucket collections and like buying yeah. shirts and stuff like that. So it was a weird acquisition, and no one really knew why someone that had played at a level that he'd done in Italy, then decided to move, you know, to Europe's food town, Grimsby. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a time when many foreign players were playing in the leagues at all and certainly not lower down. No. Um, so it was it was it was quite a splash. I remember that, and they and it, they worked for you as well. You had some great results afterwards. He um he was he was brilliant. Very tricky winger. I did re- did really really well and just helped the team. And you know, off the pitch as well, it got us a bit of press coverage that we hadn't really had for, you know, a, a time. And so, yeah, it, it ended quite um, bizarrely, as well documented by, uh, I think it was Luton away. And um, I think 
a plate of chicken was thrown. I think it was a fist that gave him the scar. I don't think it was a plate of chicken. <laughs> I think it was definitely a fist. I think oh. that is that is on record subsequently. But, um, yeah. yeah, it's quite sad. And then you kind of went off. I think you played for Tramere after. Maybe I think you managed Kilmarnock, I think. but um, I think I think you might have gone to Dundee. Dundee. Was it Dundee? Yeah. Yeah, I um, think so. But, yeah, that was a, a, cr- a crazy weird time for a, a local team like Grimsby. But Brian Laws was, a, you know, he was he's a, he's a funny old character himself. And, obviously, he's the one that inflicted as far as we know, uh, the injuries. Not a man really to mix with. He's one of only two professional footballers to have stolen a bus. I know that for a fact. Um, but he was, he was, he was he's quite a hard man, Brian Laws. Who was the other person that stole a bus? Gascoigne. Uh-huh. Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, he was just, I think he was... He was very a no nonsense character, and Grimsby have had quite a few no nonsense managers over over the over the years. We had uh, Alan Buckley, who no one yeah. really messed with, and the stories that you get from Alan Buckley's era of him almost, you know, driving along the queue of a nightclub in Cleethorpes on a Friday and Saturday night to see who was in that queue, and then <laughs> uh, almost players hiding um, to, to not get you know, not get grabbed into his uh, Ford Cortina. So, um, yeah, Brian Laws, I'd, 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 uh, I'd love to interview Brian Laws and just really get the inside info. Because he, he, he managed yeah. Grimsby two or three times, I think, and uh, I think did the same at Scunthorpe. I think he managed him three times at Scunthorpe. Yeah, um, I love the idea of the Alan Buckley curb crawling <laughs> being completely different, grabbing young professional footballers yeah. into his car. Yeah, so let's not cancel him. He was doing his job. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that, that was a time when that was fine. Do you know what I mean, you're allowed to grab 21-year-old yeah. uh, men into a Cortina. Yeah. He, um, yeah. There was a, t- a footballer called Tony Gallimore who was synonymous with the drinking culture that was, I'd say, rife probably in the 90s. And he tells many a story about, you know, they'd have like little Sunday sessions in the cricketers or somewhere. And all of a sudden they'd be like, Buckley's coming. And then like Tony Gallimore would have to run down into the cellar and, you know, the landlords and landladies were like, quick, Tony, down to the cellar, close the doors. And then Alan Buckley would come in like, is he here? Like, no, he's not been in yet, Alan. Right, okay, if he does, you give me a call, okay. They're like, yeah, right, cheers, Alan. He'd go and then straight out, you know. He's like the Cleethorpes equivalent of a Whitehall farce. Exactly. <laughs> so I know Chris is an Oldham fan and um, we've been talking a lot about uh, the National League and League Two at the moment, uh, although Oldham are doing all right. But actually, a lot of clubs have done really well going down and coming up. But you, you had quite a strange experience, didn't you? Because when you came back up, somehow it seemed like you sold all your players or something. It was very weird. Yeah, we had a weird situation where we came up and we had quite a lot of players that had done really well at National League level or Vanarama or whatever it was called at the time. And we didn't keep them on. So like Porrick Hammond, who scored, I think, 342 goals in one season, we decided to <laughs> let him go. Nathan Arnold, who scored the, the kind of like the iconic goal at Wembley against Forest Green in that playoff final, he was let go. Craig Disley was let go, the captain. Sean Pearson was um, sent to Wrexham. Well, not sent to Wrexham, but you know, I think he was just offered a better deal. So we lost a lot of players. And then subsequently later on, we lost um, Paul Hurst. <laughs> And um, it all went downhill from there. And we had a number of various different managers, Russell Slade, Marcus Bignot, um, oh, the other chap, Michael Jolly, Ian Holloway. So it was, it was a real kind of, a, re- a real weird time. You'd have thought that it would have capitalised on going up, invested in the team, but um, it, it wasn't to be. And we're now back down in the National League. 
Well, it's a thing, isn't it, that uh, uh, that clubs there's, there seems to be a, a divide, which isn't really a divide of quality between EFL two, the bottom of EFL two, and the National League, and it's an odd thing to do to come up from the National League and think, right, we're in the big time again. Now, yeah. you know, you're playing teams that that are of a very similar level. You know, yeah. you don't want to be you don't want to be shipping out the squad that's done well below. I mean, just this season, it's noticeable how the National League have started um, Stockport particularly and Rex. Have started buying players that we, you know, we couldn't afford in the EFL two. The players that, like Ollie Palmer, for instance, uh, Wrexham, has, they bought him for three hundred grand or something, and he's and he's a player that any team in the EFL two would 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 uh, bite your hand off for. It's interesting as well because Ollie Palmer actually played for us um, in the year we didn't get promoted. So we played Bristol Rovers in the, I think it's 2014, 2015, or it might have been the one after that. But it was the year before we got promoted, we played Bristol Rovers in the playoff final. We lost on penalties. Ollie Palmer was at fault for, for their um, <laughs> equalising goal, you know, but that's neither here nor there. He, I think we'd got him on loan from Mansfield. He then went and, you know, played a, played around. Uh, Steven Edge, then went on to Wimbledon, so you know we'd 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 had him at, at our level, and I think he was looking to kind of stay on at AFC Wimbledon. But the money offer that came in from Wrexham was just unbelievable, and I think also it's quite common knowledge what him and Paul Mullin are getting on a weekly basis at national league level, mm. which again is just. I, I, it's more than League One. Do you know what I mean? It's more than League well, One. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, Paul Mullen went to Wrexham after uh, after being the top scorer in, in League Two, didn't he? And uh, League Two, to- and they went to Cambridge, uh, and Cambridge absolutely yeah. could have done with him. But you know, money talks at that level, and there are silly amounts of money, like Chesterfield um, buying Tishaminga two hundred fifty thousand pounds from Boreham Wood. It's like it's just mm. silly money. Uh, just going back to your point, Chris, about the keeping the squad. The year that Bristol Rovers went up into League Two from the National League, they kept kept all but four players from that squad and then had a subsequent promotion up to League One. You know, so it, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's interesting. There's a few teams that have, you know, if you can do that, they've done it. Look at this likes of Lincoln, Fleetwood, Forest Green are about to do it this season. So are, it's just yeah. good management from the very, very top to go, right, this is a long-term plan, not a short-term plan and see what we do this season. Well, apart from anything else, breaking up a squad that has had success and have, have played well together it seems a, a retrograde step, doesn't it? Yeah, it only works for certain teams and those certain teams are usually in the Premier League with pockets that mean, you know, look at Chelsea, like they couldn't afford, uh, well, they couldn't get Haaland, so they've just gone, oh, we'll just spend 100 million quid on Lukaku. Do you know I mean, that just doesn't happen <laughs> at the National League. Not as often as it used to. Not as often as it used to. So how, how uh, Grimsby are doing in the, uh, the National League now? They started well, didn't they, this season? and then they've kind of fallen away a bit and they're coming back now. Yeah, we, we, we did. We started really well. At the beginning, like, everyone kind of wrote us off. Everyone really did write us off. Um, well, not wrote us off, but everyone was talking about your Stockports, your Chesterfields, your Wrexhams, your Notts Counties, the teams that had had a lot of money kind of yeah. pumped into them. And we, um, you know, having just come down, the likes of us and Southend were kind of written off really, but we just got taken over. We've got new owners um, that happened at the back end of last season and they're brilliant. Two incredible Grimsby Town local uh, fans that have done amazing wonders in their personal lives and obviously um, earned a lot of money with um, becoming very successful businessmen. And so it's just transformed the club. So we had a really lovely, you know, mini renaissance at the start of the season, uh, unbeaten in, I think, about 10. And then we then 
didn't win in nine. <laughs> so it was like a real roller coaster. If those wins had been scattered over the season, then it wouldn't be too bad. But it was just very like up and down very quickly. Yeah, but, um, it's interesting, isn't it? That's the that's like lower down. That's the dream. That's the fans' dream. Is the is yeah. the the local the local owner made good? That's oh. the same thing's happened at Stockport, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah, higher up yeah. the league, you're, you're dreaming of shakes. You know, you're dreaming of yeah. <laughs> Saudi Arabia and Dubai and those things. But lower down, the local the local guy who actually is invested emotionally in the club as well as as financially is the uh, is the dream, isn't it? And it, is, it, it absolutely is. And you like you look at the likes of Stockport and Grimsby and, and clubs. You know, Boreham Wood to a certain extent. You know, the chap that's running Boreham Wood, I think he's a Chelsea fan, but. He, um, it's really interesting that you get these people go, oh, finally, do you know what I mean, I'm buying the club that I'm a boyhood fan of. I'm going to put this money into it. And hopefully, you know what I mean, Hollywood superstars won't go and buy Wrexham <laughs> and then pump insubordinate amounts of money into buying players that should not be played in the National League. But, you know, here we are, Chris. Well, it's interesting just from from an olden point of view, you know, looking, uh, we, you know, we've been uh, for the first half of the season anyway, looking looking nailed on to, to join you, you know. And uh, yes, it's changing the, now. Obviously, the yeah, we've got the Shezerection is occurring now. <laughs> the John Sheridan's re- uh, um, uh, resurrection. Say again, sorry. John Sheridan's what? <laughs> very close. Yeah, very close. John Sheridan's uh, yeah. resurrection. But yeah, I just got, so I've been looking into the National League. I just discovered that I only discovered recently that there are EFL parachute payments. I didn't even know that. And so maybe we won't go bust. They last away. for two years. Two years yeah. they last, and then um, then you're on your own. So I think you yeah. do see certain teams that that rely on them and. It's a good way of being able to restructure how your team operates. Not only do the parachute payments, uh, well, it's obviously you, you stop getting the EFL money, but you stop getting the academy money as well. So money that, you know, helps players come through. You see the likes of like Exeter City have got an amazing academy. I'm not sure what Oldham's is like, but Grimsby, no, we've got know. a great one. <laughs> is it not really? Well, we, well we do- no, we ha- we, I know we have, because, uh, okay, you know, we, we have a, a, a record of picking up um, play because obviously where we are, uh, any good young players are snapped right. up by City or snapped up by United, and, and yeah. uh, what we tend to get are the lads who've been told by City and United, you know, you're not tall enough to play professional football. So our, whenever an academy player comes through at Oldham, he's five foot one, and he's, yeah. he can be quite skillful. <laughs> but that's the that's our model, and yes, this is going back all the way to uh, you know uh, when we were successful with Mike Milligan and Nick Henry, you know, yeah. uh, with little players who were who were Joe Royal called yard dogs. They're the yard dogs, yeah. <laughs> and we still like- we still have it. We have a yard dog model in our academy. So. I, I, I briefly taught in Newmarket and it was like that there because <laughs> most honestly because lots of the kids were kids of jockeys and stable hands it absolutely was and of course the rich people who lived in Newmarket sent their kids to Somewhere private else, schools yeah, yeah. so it was like all these really hard as nails little fuckers about four foot ten <laughs> anyway you speak so passionately Lloyd it's wonderful about about the, the, the lower leagues and you know and also the, the, the higher leagues too but but very knowledgeably. And yet you've done a lot of work in the media, uh, obviously, um, about football. Does it depress you that you that, that the the focus, I know it depresses us, the focus <laughs> is so much on the Premier League, you know, that it's almost as if everything else is incidental. It's, I guess the only way to really describe it is like you're walking down 
Regent Street in London and you see Burberry and you see Gucci and you see Prada and you see all these beautiful models and you go, I'm I'm never going to get with them. Um, <laughs> and you just have to make your peace with it, really. Do you know what I mean? You just have to make your peace with, that's never going to happen. good stuff in Primark. They do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a mess though, isn't it's, it? It's not so much that Grimsby may never play in the Premier League or win the FA Cup or get into Europe. It's not so much that. It's that when you're working, that that all of the work is about, you know, those top tw- 20 clubs. Or, you know, although, to be fair, there's been about 60 clubs in the Premier League by now. But, yeah, yeah. but, but that, that, obs- that obsession and then that dismissal of, of lower leagues. Yeah, and it can... What, what, what gets me as well, you get in a taxi and someone goes, oh, hello, mate, you're all right? Yeah, he goes, who do you think is going to win the Premier League this season? I'm like... Yeah. I couldn't give a shit. I honestly don't care. Yeah, like yeah. I, I like what I love. I love watching football, um, and it just it upsets me that there is so much attention on these, as you say, kind of like top four to six to ten, twenty clubs. But what's great is in the modern age of social media and everyone being able to kind of have a voice and do stuff. Is that there are now some really good podcasts out there. There's a really good podcast called The National League that's fronted by two Torquay fans. You know, and it's really, really good information on on the National League. There's um, Not the Top 20, which is a really good podcast, which covers, you know, the Football League. Yeah. Grimsby have got uh, a podcast, DN35. So, it's, you know, there, there, is, there, there are outlets out there, but you've just got to, you've got to search them. But, yeah, um, it's going to be a long time before we're in the Premier League, I think, at least four years. Yeah, I did enjoy uh, when you were doing the uh, Premier League fan reactions thing. I did enjoy that and uh, wondered whether, I mean, that must have had a very high uh, replica kit budget. Um, well, actually, it didn't. Um, what I did, <laughs> I, I basically uh, spoke to it. a, a company called uh, Classic Football Shirts. Yeah. And I just said, look, you've got hundreds of thousands of shirts. Can I just borrow 20 for the season? And uh-huh. I'll give you them back, uh, washed or unwashed, and tell you your <laughs> choice. And so, so I did that. And there was a couple where I, I, I bought a few and then gave them away at the end of the season. But I tell you what, though, that was the one thing. That and doing the Fantasy Premier League on your phone, they're the, they're the two things that make you take notice of what's going on in the Premier League. So I needed to be on top of what the results were happening. So I'd watch the highlights on the Saturday, on the Sunday. Yeah. And um, and it, it made me kind of like watch it a bit more. Yeah, I did enjoy that. You, the very dis, very distinct London accents that you had. You had like half a dozen more because a United fan seemed to have a Cockney accent, which was great. But um, the, the the very distinct London accents, I enjoyed that. Sorry, based. I think it was so annoying when like you get like another. You look at who was going to be relegated and who was going to be promoted. And you go, oh, that's now six London teams. I mean, there's only <laughs> so many variations I can do. And then it's the same with the Midlands as well. It's like, why does Aston Villa sound like Wolves? It's like, well, because I haven't got that much range, lads, that's why. <laughs> because it's only like 15 miles. Yeah. <laughs> and so the time that you, you've you've got yourself a little cameo appearance on Ted Lasso, Nick mentioned at the beginning. You've got yourself a, a little appearance as an as a occasional journalist in press conferences and things. What do you think of Ted? Do you enjoy Ted Lasso as a thing? Oh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. Even when, when, it, when it first came out on, I think it was NBC, it was like, oh, it's this great little character. And then they built it into a, a sitcom, a sitcom 
that has gone huge around the world. Like, it's unbelievable, you know, the success that it's had. It has, it has. I mean, I, when I was watching it, I kept thinking, oh, it's this is all, you know, this is all wrong, you know. But then I realised that I'd been watching, you know, for half an hour with a big smile on my face. And, you know, yeah. and my face hurt at the end of it, which I couldn't quite explain satisfactorily. There's, um, there's, there's, there's one moment, I think, in the first episode of the first series where... I have to say the word tie instead of draw. Hey. And the amount of stick I got from football fans <laughs> just in England be like, why would you say tie? I'm like, because it's an international audience and draw in America, I think means drugs. Okay, all right. So that's why I, <laughs> do you understand tie? You do, let's move on. Okay, so, um, but yeah, no, it's great. And it's, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing um, show, but also an amazing show on set as well. Like everyone on set is absolutely incredible. It's just the most enjoyable thing to be a part. It's, it looks like a very good-hearted thing because it's essentially about it's essentially about the decency of people that are thrown together in a in a in a football club. It's essentially about how you know finding stories that show that everyone's got something good about them. You know, it's very American in that way. It's a very light-hearted, feel-good show about positivity, and it just so happens that there's footballs involved as well. Yeah, I saw a great interview with Jason Sudeikis and the guy who plays Coach Beard and. The, a third guy in their writing room. Um, the third guy isn't isn't one of the. I guess he does the typing. I don't know if you've come across him. But um, they had series three plotted out on on a whiteboard behind them with post-it notes for what was going to happen in all the episodes. And above Jason Sudeikis's head, just to, to one side, there was a post-it note saying. Ted dies, <laughs> which I thought I thought was a very strong joke to do in a in like a Zoom yeah, interview. Yeah. You know, anyway. that's very good. Actually, that I just wanted to pick up on that thing about saying tie because that's some, that's why I find it. I've few times I've been up for things about about sports, specifically about football. And I'm just yeah. so pissed off about the inaccuracy. <laughs> and yeah, I yeah, just yeah. have to stop myself saying it. Yeah, I mean, years and years ago, there was a film called When Saturday Comes. I don't know if you remember it. Oh, yeah, Sean yeah, Bean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I went to audition for that. That was a long time ago. And uh, they said, okay, well, this year in the dressing room, okay, and Sheffield United uh, are going to be playing Arsenal in a reserve match. And I'm going... No, they can't no, no, because it's, it's the football rich. combination of the Central League. And, and I had to say it, and I said it, and they just basically went, oh, fuck off. And later <laughs> in the film, Sean Bean gets to um, gets to take a penalty in the semi-final of the Cup, having come on as a veteran, as a substitute, and the semi-final of the Cup is Sheffield United against, I don't give a fuck who, but it's at Bramall Lane. They don't play the semi-final <laughs> of the Cup at Bramall Lane. It's just absurd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But of course it does. Of course it doesn't matter, does no. it? It just it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. No, well, yeah. for, for the international audience. Yeah. I'm presuming, um, Lloyd, that you're wearing that cap to prompt me to mention your Peaky Blinders um, podcast <laughs> that you're doing. Well, it's, uh, I'm actually I'm actually wearing this cap because um, I've got very bad hair today, and I'm losing my hair at a rate of knots. So I keep it on if I've not um, put all my um, special spells in there. So, um, but I mean, yeah, I absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a good reminder. I'm, uh, we've got this new podcast myself and Darren Harriet. We're doing Obsessed with Peaky Blinders, which starts on the 27th of February. It's on BBC Sounds app, um, and it basically accompanies the final and sixth series of Peaky Blinders. Marvelous. Now I was, I'm going to ask you this, and I really want you to just say no fuck off if you don't want to do it. Okay. Because I'm aware, can I say? It? I'm aware. I'm a, <laughs> yeah, you can say. It. Because I'm aware it's a little bit of a, a set 
piece performing dog thing to us, but we know that you're a chorister. Oh, here we go, here we go. <laughs> I just wanted to, is there a particularly unpleasant Grimsby song that you can do in a beautiful voice for us. But seriously, if I was if I was asked, I'd say no. But well, go. I should say also that Nick is very keen on fishing. So he's prepared to, to, to mime the fishing while you sing. <laughs> well, look, seeing as though there's a very large fee for this podcast, I'm more than happy to oblige. So um, uh, Grimsby have got quite a few famous chants. And um, just a side point, we... Um, on uh, Easter Monday, I think 2002, we played Sheffield Wednesday at Blundell Park, and uh, like Kevin Pressman was in goal. Like it was a it was a, a, a big old game, and our choir went and sang beforehand. And the abuse that we got on that pitch, I cannot tell you. And the worst thing was it was started by my mates as well. So, um, <laughs> but we actually sang. We only sing when you're fishing, which is what one yeah. of our famous um, chants. So yes, I'll yes. Um, I'll do that. It's not you know. Um, we piss on your fish is obviously the other one as well, but that's quite monotonal. <laughs> so I'll give you a couple and you can choose which one you like. So, um, and, and also my, uh, the, the, the guests in the jury's in, in Birmingham are going to think what the fuck is going on? Um, on a, on a Thursday afternoon when I'm belting this out. Okay. <laughs> we only sing when we're fishing, sing when we're fishing. We only sing when we're fishing. We piss on your fish. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. There you go. Thank you there. so much, dude. I know what a horrible thing it is when you get asked to do something like that. It's absolutely but, fine. Uh, but we really want it. Thanks so much. You've been a great guest. Really enjoyed having you on. Um, good luck with your Peaky Blinders stuff. Good luck with all your football stuff. Good luck with your Ted Lasso. Bless you. Um, and thank you very much. Cheers, chum. No, thanks for having me on. Cheers. So thank you very much to our guest, Lloyd Griffiths. Please encourage people to download the podcast. Um, please uh, give your reviews whatever you want to do uh, please tweet about it or any of those other modern things that young people do or get your children to do it do you want to wear this original <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network